Now let the words of our mouths and the meditations of our hearts be acceptable in your sight, O Lord, our Rock and our Redeemer. Amen. Our readings today are from the New Revised Standard Version Bible, and our first reading comes from Job, chapter 40, verses 1 through 14. And the Lord said to Job, Shall a fault finder contend with the Almighty? Anyone who argues with God must respond. Then Job answered the Lord, See, I am of small account. What shall I answer you? I lay my hand on my mouth. I have spoken once. I will not answer twice, but will proceed no further. Then the Lord answered Job out of the whirlwind. Gird up your loins like a man. I will question you, and you declare to me. Will you even put me in the wrong? Will you condemn me that you may be justified? Have you an arm like God, and can you thunder with a voice like his? Deck yourself with majesty and dignity. Clothe yourself with glory and splendor. Pour out the overflowings of your anger, and look on all who are proud and debase them. Look on all who are proud and bring them low. Tread down the wicked where they stand. Hide them all in the dust together. Bind their faces in the world below. Then I will acknowledge to you that your own right hand can give you victory. Our next reading is from James, chapter 1, verses 12 through 16. Blessed is anyone who endures temptation. Such a one has stood the test and will receive the crown of life that the Lord has promised to those who love him. No one, when tempted, should say, I am being tempted by God. For God cannot be tempted by evil, and he himself tempts no one. But one is tempted by one's own desire, being lured and enticed by it. Then, when that desire is conceived, it gives birth to sin. And that sin, when it is fully grown, gives birth to death. Do not be deceived, my beloved. Our last reading for today comes from Luke chapter 13, verses 1 through 5. At that very time there were some present who told him about the Galileans whose blood Pilate had mingled with their sacrifices. He asked them, do you think that because these Galileans suffered in this way, they were worse sinners than all other Galileans? No, I tell you, but unless you repent, you will all perish as they did. Or those 18 who were killed when the Tower of Siloam fell on them. Do you think that they were worse offenders than all the others living in Jerusalem? No, I tell you, but unless you repent, you will all perish just as they did. This is the word of God for the people of God. Thanks be to God. I rewrote this a few times, and it took me a little longer to get to where I wanted to be. And I hope that all my thoughts today are conveyed how they came in my head. But I wanted to talk about the question of where is God when... And we can sort of fill in the blank from there, because this is a question that comes up a lot. And especially when we are in hard times, when bad things happen. 
when things get difficult. And I'm wanting to touch on the question of where is God when these things happen for today? But for a further exploration of this entire subject of dealing with difficulty, with grief, I'm going to be making this the focus of our series during Lent. That will address some of the questions of how we deal with difficulty and how we keep going on. But today's question deals more with if God is abandoning us during difficult times and how we deal with that idea. I want to begin with the fallacy of a statement that we hear all too often. Everything happens for a reason. The reason that this statement does not sit well with me is because we like to ascribe that everything happens because God wanted it to happen. That God has a purpose in making everything in our lives happen the way that it does. And this doesn't sit with the reality that I have lived. I have to simply say no. And our gospel reading is an example of Jesus pointing out that we like to ascribe everything to have some sort of divine purpose. They're talking about some Galileans whose blood Pilate had mingled with their sacrifices, which the easiest way to interpret that is that Pilate had to take some sort of action to put down some sort of uprising or situation that led to people bringing their sacrifices to the temple being killed. And Jesus asked a question that's rather pointed. Do you think that because these Galileans suffered in this way, they were worse sinners than all other Galileans? The answer is no. He goes on to ask about a tower falling and killing some of the people who were there, and he wants to know if that shows they were worse sinners than everyone else in Jerusalem. That the reason that they died was because of their own sin. And again, the answer is no. Now, there's a lot of ways we could take the rest of this reading, but... Those are the things that I really wanted to latch on to for today's message because Christ isn't saying God wasn't with those people. But he's also not saying God did it because of something they did. Because sometimes things happen. Life happens. And we like to think there's a purpose behind everything. And I think that that causes us to stumble when we are confronted with difficulty. Because sometimes we want to ask, what did I do to deserve this? 
where did I go wrong that God is punishing me in this way? And it makes us question if God is even there in those difficult times. And I think the problem is that we get too latched on to thinking that God is moving everything around and poking his finger in every little thing that happens. That if it happened, it must have been what God wanted. And we forget that we live in a world of free will. Both our will and the will of those around us. We also live in the naturally ordered world. If a tower falls, did it fall because God commanded it to? Or because gravity exists as part of this natural world? We can get very much caught up in trying to put more meaning in things than they need. And we can hear this in James as well. Because James talks about temptation. And you might be wondering how temptation relates to all of this. And the reason that it does is because when James talks about temptation, he points out something that we can forget easily. Because James says that no one, when they're tempted, should claim they're being tempted by God. Because God can't be tempted by evil, and God doesn't tempt people, it's not in his character. James notes something about the human condition. That we are tempted by our own desires. Most of the temptation we have comes from our own thoughts and our own wants. And sometimes we twist ourselves into thinking that it's not our fault. And I'm not here to lay blame at anyone's feet, because sometimes things happen even when there is no temptation. Sometimes bad things happen. Tragedy strikes. I think I can speak for most all of us here that when tragedy hits, it can be hard on faith because we want to know why. And we want to know what was God doing that he missed this thing happening. What was God up to that he didn't notice? Or if God did notice... Why didn't he do something about it? And for that, I was reminded of our old friend, Job. Now, we can get ourselves into a bit of a fix here if we don't read Job properly. And I've touched on this before when we walked through Job briefly. And one of the things that we can miss in all of it is if we glance over Job and give it a kid's Sunday school treatment, then we get Job being tempted, and we want to say that Job was good, and God noticed he was good and stayed true and rewarded him. Good and upright Job. And in that, we miss the actual message in Job. I picked the reading from Job today because of the fact that it teaches us a lesson about trying to fully understand things that we can't. And it comes with God's response to Job. You'll notice this isn't the 
good and faithful Job, you've spoken wisely, that we sometimes trick ourselves into thinking is everything about Job. Instead, we have the Lord saying to Job, Shall a fault finder contend with the Almighty? Anyone who argues with God must respond. And at this point, Job has made some accusations and is learning his lesson about keeping his mouth shut about things he doesn't fully understand. But the problem is that because he's already made the statements and has called God out, God is chiding him now for his silence. And he asks, will you even put me in the wrong? Will you condemn me that you may be justified? Have you an arm like God and can you thunder with a voice like his? Strong words. God basically asking Job, what can you do? Can you do everything that God can? Can you be God? He tells Job that he'll acknowledge his power as soon as he has shown it. But until then, Job shouldn't speak of things he knows nothing about. Now that might sound a little dark and dreary, pretty harsh. And it might be a little disheartening on the first read. But I would encourage you to read Job from start to finish. Because there's a poetry to Job that we have to understand. Because the book of Job is about understanding God's sovereignty. God's not tempting Job, and the test that Job goes through is allegorical, not historical. It's not an actual account of what happened to a man named Job and his friends who recite poetry as argument. Job is about understanding that God is always there, but we can't always understand why God may stay his hand or may do what he needs to do, or that things happen that aren't directed by God. And we can go back to our gospel reading and ask, was God absent when the tower fell? Did God make the tower fall? Or do things sometimes fall down? And we find meaning so that we can pick up the pieces and move on. For me, that's the bigger lesson in all of this. Where was God? Right there with you. No matter what it is that happened, God was there. But if God stepped in with a miracle for everything in life, what would life be? Certainly not the life that we currently live. What would happen to our free will if every time we made a choice, God stepped in to forbid us from choosing? There'd be no choice at all. And this in some ways can be unsatisfying. The problem of free will has been an issue that the church has tried to address for as long as the church has existed. It's not an easy path to look at. 
but one that we have to acknowledge. If we have the power to choose to follow God, we have the power to do most anything that we do in our lives as our own choice of our own volition. For me, this can be hard because I no longer even ask the question, where was God when something happens? I try not to even ask myself why God made it happen because I accept that life does happen. And I could ascribe things to God or not to God, but what do I really know? But I do look at what my choices are. How I can respond to the things happening around me. And knowing that God is there with me makes it easier. Because that's the one thing I always keep in mind. Where was God? With me. Because when we talk about dealing with hardships and grief and suffering and loss, it's easy to get lost in the unanswerable questions of why. And we get distracted from the real question of what now? And I don't say that lightly. But the past is just that. The past. Pain and hardship are part of life. It can make us stronger. It can make us wiser. It can humble us. It can test our faith because we are tempted to give up. But God isn't tempting us to give up. God is there for us even if we're too blinded by grief and anger to see him. But I can take comfort in knowing that God is there and that when I'm angry and when I'm hurt, I can complain to God. How's that for a thought? And, as I've been known to do, I can ask for forgiveness if I lose my temper in that complaining. But I have found that if I vent to the Lord and I let out my frustrations and my futility, my feelings of impotence at not being able to change the things around me, I'm comforted by the love that I'm shown and the grace to help me to change myself, to live in the world that surrounds me. And I pray that I grow a little wiser and a little stronger and a little humbler every time I walk out of a time of darkness. Because I know where God the Father was in all of those difficult times. I know where the Holy Spirit was residing. I know where Christ 
was standing and is standing with me, with you. Even if we can't understand the why or the how, if we can't piece it together and understand the past, the one thing that we do always, always have in Christ is a future. Amen.